Hello, and welcome to the Told You So podcast. I'm Brink. And I'm Carla. And today we're going to be talking about a major story that just dropped uh, in the Washington Post called the Afghanistan Papers. Obviously, it's in the same uh, category as the Pentagon Papers, and the I think there have been other papers in the past. <laughs> and, and they usually are not har- harbingers, harbingers, whatever the word is, of uh, good good stuff. So. Yeah, typically it's a dump of a bunch of ways in which the government lied. And big surprise, that's what this one is. Um, so to to wrap it up in like a sentence, if you don't want to listen to the whole show, the government... <laughs> you should. Yeah, you should listen to the rest. But the, the takeaway right now, just so you know, is that the government lied for 18 years about the war in Afghanistan, how it was going, what our plan was, how much progress was being made, the level of success that they were achieving. How many people died? Yep. Who Civil- was yep. killed? Basically, on every front, the military has lied to the American people for, Although the for almost two decades. the Washington Post uh, could not even bring themselves to utter the word lie in the headline in this story. It said, failed to tell the truth. Yeah. Now, anyone who's an editor or a writer would know that you want your headlines to be punchy and you want to pick the best word and you would think failed to tell the truth could have been replaced by a three-letter word. Lie. Lie, yeah. Now, I mean, so the interesting thing, of course, uh, in any large organization that's trying to do something, you're going to get a lot of CYA, um, you know, but it's one thing if it's like a product team at Microsoft and they're not making the progress that they say they've been making on artificial intelligence. Uh, This is, you know, American and Afghani lives, tens of thousands of them. Um, If I remember correctly, the chart said that something like 45,000 Afghani civilians had been killed. Uh, over, you know, more people, more soldiers died in Afghanistan than died in September 11th attacks. Um, there's uh, all of the elements of our drone warfare, our, our various, you know, uh, flexing our technological muscle with this new type of warfare. Um, it was all to no avail. I mean, uh, and that's the that's really the bottom line. So I thought that it would be good to sort of go through this article um read through some of the biggest quotes uh, just so that you can hear them and remember them and then maybe talk a little bit about it. Um, So one of the ones that really stood out for me is the first quote in the article, and it's from Douglas Lute, a three-star Army general who served as the White House's Afghan war czar during both the Bush and Obama administrations. So uh, when he was interviewed in 2015, he said, We were devoid of a fundamental understanding of Afghanistan. We didn't know what we were doing. He added... What we are, what are we trying to do here? We didn't have the foggiest notion of what we are undertaking. If the American people knew the magnitude of this dysfunction, 2,400 lives lost, who will say that this was in vain? And I will. Let me say it, right? Is and this is, it's human, human life being destroyed for, uh, for, for no purpose. I mean, for what really, right? Like, what did Afghanistan really have to do with 9-11? I mean, you know, most of the hijackers yeah. were Saudi. Saudi. Um, they you know, were, we know Taliban Iraq was, had yeah. nothing to do with Afga- uh, with 9-11. So, right. you know, it, it, it pretty much was, hey, we, we have some battles we want to circle back to, and there's some people we want to take out. And I find that the term foggiest, they're very ironic in some ways, right? Because we know the fog of war 
of course, is a real thing. Everyone from McNamara on has mm -hmm. talked about it. It's something that historically there was a great documentary called yep. The Fog of War. It makes it really hard to figure out what's going on in reality. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, what we do know, and I think people who are clued in and people who generally do look at foreign policy from an anti-war perspective, I am yet to be convinced, uh, you know, and we can quibble about it, but, you know, that war really ever has very good outcomes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's there's probably some exemptions or exemptions, exceptions, uh, mostly, you know, wars of national defense. If there's an aggressive army that's coming to attack you, I, I don't. Yeah, have if much you were of, Poland, maybe. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> or, or, you know, one of the one of the uh, the Rus like. Kiev and the Mongols were attacking or, you know, I, I, it's hard to fault people for defending their land. Those are wars that seem pretty just. But yeah, when you when you go out to uh, to write an abstract wrong, you never you, you can't do it with force. I mean, and this is all really, a, you know, we're just talking about Afghanistan. But I think people forget that uh, maybe you remember the, the GWOT. We were going <laughs> to engage in a global war on terror. Um and that's what we've been doing for 18 years. And, uh, and, I think and that, we have been spreading terror yeah, what's the, and what's, all over what's the, the world. Result? Now there are terrorist attacks in Europe. Now there are terrorist attacks in Southeast Asia with much greater regularity. Now there are terrorist attacks in Pakistan. There's terrorist attacks in Afghanistan. Uh, or, uh, it's just endless, the, the, the ripples and repercussions of – uh, our foreign policy trying to use force to change people's minds. I mean, so America, for people who may not know this, because a lot of people really just don't, I think people switch off. It's a tough topic. Uh, there is vested interests who, of course, want to keep us as ill-informed as humanly possible, mm -hmm. and the media colludes and works together with that. But America is currently in seven wars. Yeah, that sounds right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and is, is occupying about 70 countries and has bases in 172, yeah. I believe, or 177. It's almost every country on Earth. Everywhere. So, yeah. you know, America is an empire at this stage, and if we don't have a fourth estate, if we do not have a media to actually hold people accountable. And we know this happened from weapons of mass destruction mm -hmm. on with the narrative. You know, we, we our media has done us a disservice. Yeah. And, you know, and they continue with this Washington Post story. Why didn't they say lied? Yeah. Well, I mean, I do appreciate that they've gone to the, the great lengths that they did to put together this stuff. And the Washington Post, actually, if I remember correctly, they're the paper that uh, released the Pentagon Papers, too. That's correct. So they have yeah. a pretty long history of... Uh, if you're looking to expose government malfeasance, go talk to the Washington Post. Um, of course, uh, part of me wonders, I know now there's this enmity between Trump and Jeff Bezos. And with Bezos owning the Washington Post, like there's like a political element. But not for this. This is for everybody. And, and really, I mean, I think that the reason that the story has sort of slid under the radar, it's twofold. Number one, the impeachment hearings are happening right now, and people love dramatic reality television. Yep. And that's what it is. Everybody gets to yell and ask and accusing questions. Look at and, the shiny bowl. Look at this yeah. distraction right over here while yep. all this other stuff goes on and people die. Yeah. So, I, and, and that's really one of the reasons that we're talking about this today is to make sure that some more people hear about it. And maybe this will pop up in the news cycle in three or four days after some summaries come out and other journalists read these documents. But, uh, I, I just really don't want this to disappear, you know, into the memory hole and, and all of a sudden – or maybe everybody already knows it. Maybe maybe everybody already knows that this was a waste and they don't care. I mean that's the hard thing that I've been trying to think about with, with these releases. So let me give you another quote here from uh, 
Jeffrey Eggers, who's a retired Navy SEAL and another, again, White House staffer for Bush and Obama, which, again, it's kind of shocking how many of these people were, they had continuity through well, Bush Well, I mean, I Obama. think with the military, that is something you're generally going to see. I mean, yeah. people will argue about, you know, what, what the deep state means. And, you know, some people say it's a bureaucracy, but I think there's also an element of the military that has to do with the deep right. state, right? Well, there it's another bureaucracy. Yeah. But... And, and so it makes sense to me that we have these generals and they have all these stars and they serve under every leader and pretty much continue to do what they want from a military yeah. perspective. So we're so we're talking about all right, so since 2001 the Defense Department, State Department and US Agency for International Development have spent or appropriated between 934 billion and 978 billion. Give or take 40 billion or so. We're not sure, you yeah. know. Well, whatever. you know, if, you if you've lost sure. 6 trillion dollars, then <laughs> you know who cares about a few billion? Yeah. And that that figure doesn't include money spent by, you know, CIA and Veterans Affairs and all that, you know, um, to to treat people when they come home. I mean, it's really all imaginary money by this stage. I yes. mean, we should definitely do a show at some stage maybe about the Federal Reserve again just yeah. to remind people about right. all of that. Well, and the, yeah, this money it's they're 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 moving decimal points on a on a database spreadsheet and that's what happens. That's how the money gets moved and created. But uh so yeah, Jeffrey Eggers, retired Navy SEAL, uh, this was his quote. What did we get for this 1 trillion dollar effort? Was it worth a trillion dollars? He added after the killing of Osama bin Laden, I said that Osama was probably laughing in his watery grave considering how much we've spent on Afghanistan. And it's funny because that's actually, if you remember, when when uh, the September 11th attacks happened, everybody, uh, you know, pulled at their beard uh, Giuliani, and scratched their they head. Hate yeah, they hate us for our freedoms. Um, Bush went down the same road. But if you listened to the communications that al-Qaeda put out, and what Osama bin Laden himself said, it was very clear. It wasn't some abstract, like, ah, you watch Friends and I don't like it. It was, <laughs> you have military bases in every country in the world. We want You to, are occupying right, our land. You're occupying our land in Saudi Arabia specifically. Yep. Uh, and basically, we want to draw you into an eternal war where you will lose so much blood and treasure that your country falls apart. And, you know, um, so he's dead, but he's also kind of right. I mean, you know, 18 years later. Well, he was a pretty later. successful strategist if that was his goal, if, if those were his goals. Because, I mean, we're, we're, as you were just saying, I mean, financially, we're in bigger uh, debt than the country's ever been. People seem to have just completely forgotten that that's a thing. I mean, I have not heard anyone talk about the debt. In from so long. No Republican, no Democrat. No, I mean, and the Republicans can't say anything either because, no. I mean, Trump just didn't. Because they grow just... fasting, they grow spending faster than Democrats. Yeah. I mean, the last person who didn't grow it was them, Bill Clinton, and right. no one well, wants to talk about no, that either, right? He, he he grew the size of the government. I mean, he, he grew the federal budget significantly. It, it, it's never stopped growing since uh, basically Reagan in the 80s figured out that. Well, you Reagan spend grew money. it, so yeah. Reagan was not a. No, the, his, you know. his great insight was that you can spend money you don't have. <laughs> and because well, we're the world's reserve currency, well, you, you know, can do and, it until everybody says, wait a minute. Well, and the question is going to become, when is China going to flex that particular muscle? Right. Because they own, isn't it, 7 to 10 or 12% of all America's debt yes. at this stage? And on so, top of that, there's actual, I mean, I, I've heard a bunch of different stuff. Some of it, I don't know how credible it is. Um, but about, number one, China purchasing uh Huge amounts of like physical metals, uh, gold, silver, that kind of stuff, as like a reserve. Number two, um, China purchasing pallets of dollars, 
Um, so literally, you know, those those pallets that forklifts pick up, shrink wrapped. Full <laughs> those of, ones we went and dropped off in Benghazi or wherever. It was. Right. <laughs> but no, so yeah, so shrink wrapped pallets of money. The the reason being that they're quote unquote investments, but they could also reintroduce them to the money supply at any time. And uh, boy, howdy, would that cause a little yep. inflation? Yep. Um, so uh, there's a lot of these these problems where it's like we've we've just assumed that. Um, to use like a historian term, American global hegemony is unstoppable and that we thought that it was self-reinforcing. We thought that all of these things we were doing were helping to prop up American global hegemony. And the problem is that you can only hold that position while you're uh, rich and powerful. And if you overextend yourself, it's like a a super wealthy person that uses too much credit. All of a sudden the debt collectors are at your door. They're taking your car. They're, you know, foreclosing on your house and they're, and then it's over. Right. But then also there's the whole model. Let's call it the Trump model, for example, where, you know, he's declared bankruptcy three times. And yet here we are with uh, Trump as president. So maybe a lot of people look at the American model and they just kind of go, well, you know, when we tank, we're going to tank, but we'll make right. a comeback. And well, I, I'm I don't know not about sure that. that's going to happen. Yeah, and there's a big difference between private risk and, like, public institutional risk. Um, you know, a person can go bankrupt and keep trying to do things and experience success. Uh, a government, like, people don't issue their money, their own money. People don't maintain. Like, there's all of these things that need to be done that would make it very difficult for a government to bounce back. I mean, and you can see it in any countries that have had hyperinflation crises. Weimar Republic, back after the Second World War, we saw, well, First World War and the Second World War. Zimbabwe is another perfect example. (laughs) You you can't just print more money. No. It it, it stops working after. And, you know, I mean, I will honestly say I was talking to my husband the other day and we were talking specifically about Zimbabwe, which used to be the breadbasket of Africa, right? Mm -hmm. And then Mugabe came in in the 70s, 80s, and everyone was excited because it was like down with colonialism. And again, the horrible irony, it's like Rhodesia was not good. They oppressed people. It was bad. But then... Mugabe, like getting rid of that doesn't mean that you're good. Well, well, here's <laughs> the thing, right? You can so, also be bad. Well, exactly. <laughs> you can you destroy know? colonialism and also be bad. I mean, because I, I, I mean, I look at that from from the history of South Africa perspective, right? Where I kind of look at it like, well, the Brits came, they were like Sun Empire, you know, uh, Cape to Cairo, the whole yeah, right. thing, and then the Afrikaners got power, and then they were like, well, we're going to suppress the blacks, and then the blacks got power, and they were like, yeah, we're going to we'll suppress, suppress the whites. Yeah, the and, and it's like, okay, maybe the problem here is that we have to stop trying to suppress people and that the desire for power and control is something that is nasty and something that we should actually eschew, yeah. that we should say, you know what, from a model for happiness in life, you know, maybe less of the ring and a little more mm-hmm. of, you know, peace and happiness. Well, and that's another, yeah, I, I totally agree. And so there's another quote less that I thought was worth sharing. Yeah. So, and, and it's worth talking about. I mean, we again, if you remember the – and really, I mean, it's just amazing that politicians now, they still they, – they still don't know why we're there, but they still sort of pretend that they do. Well, and they make it about, well, well, this is the sacrifice of the troops. And it's like, well, no, you're making them go there right, for no clear reason. Well, the thing is, I mean, we've gotten to the stage, I think, where everyone just speaks in these, like, nonsensical platitudes – you know, there are all right. these Make ways the world we talk about war. And, yes, yes, and like all these things, right? Yeah, we're, it'll and be safer like, democracy after we murder some people. Yeah, and it's it's genuinely meaningless. Like they 
just utter these phrases, but it has no meaning. They don't really know what they're talking about. And yeah. this will be totally unrelated. But the, when I said bombing, I was like, ooh, carpet bombing, because mm -hmm. I was thinking about Germany and then carpet bombing. I was like, in Afghanistan, which I think is genuinely tragic, mm -hmm. you can now buy handmade carpets, right? So, you know, famously from that region, you get these beautiful handmade mm -hmm. Persian carpets and like, you know, the whole yeah. thing, right? That are, because what they do is they, they actually, in the carpets, they put what their milieu is, their stories and all of that. Yeah. And so now you can buy them and they are uh, drones, represented drones with like bombs falling from the sky with yeah. dead people. And I'm like, please, like why... Why would anyone be like, booyah, America? Like, that's well, not what I want to stand for. And, and, and I don't think those are American values. And also the pitch was that, and you know, it's actually really like historically ironic in a way, or not ironic, I guess maybe typical is more the better word. But like uh, the whole pitch for Iraq and Afghanistan was we're going to make these countries modern Western countries, basically. It was that we're going to, you know, tear away the religiously fundamentalist rulers and dictatorship and teach them how to have a republic. But not even have a teach modern force, force, right? Yes. But, well, teach at the point of a gun. Um, so not really teach. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, – it's it's so similar to what people thought that we could do in the Philippines in the late 1800s, which was like America's first sort of uh, foray into empire. When the Philippines, you know, the 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 locals they were under Spanish rule, and they wrote uh, Congress about you know the beauty of the U.S. Constitution and this idea of individual rights and liberty, and that every person has it, and you know th that's what we want. Um, and we gave it to them good and hard. We <laughs> we sent the navy, and they they occupied, and they acted as bad or worse than the Spaniards had um, to the Filipino people. Yep, and, and, and it was and, all and pitched. And then we were like, "Oh, you know what looks nice now? Yeah. Hawaii." Right. Yeah. No, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, you have a monarch. Let's grab some more stuff in the Pacific. Sure. Yeah. Let's and go take it. An empire of liberty occupied by freedom lovers. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's tragic, actually. <laughs> I mean, I do really genuinely feel like this country has lost its way. And, and I don't even know how we, we bring it back to some kind of sense. You know, we're talking about money in in unfathomable amounts. Yeah. We are talking about t treasure and people, you know, lives that have died, yeah. you know, people who are just dying. And let's talk about right. the people who don't die, but come back from combat zones who have traumatic experiences. Right. I met with a one-star general a couple of weeks ago, and I found it interesting that he, he calls it PTS, right. no D, right? So <laughs> post-traumatic stress, but no disorder because they don't want that sort of... Um, uh, word attached to it. But Afghanistan also place where there's a lot of um, poppies, right? Yeah, well, and that's a whole part of the story, too, that's kind of interesting. So uh, one thing, just to throw out another a quote here from the article again. This is from uh, James Dobbins, a former senior, a former senior U.S. diplomat who served as special envoy to Afghanistan under Bush and Obama. Um and what he said, this is just to go back to like the Philippines concept and earlier, is that uh, we don't invade poor countries to make them rich. We don't invade authoritarian countries to make them democratic. We invade violent countries to make them peaceful. And we clearly failed in Afghanistan. And, you know, I also would say if you are trying to spread peace through violence, yeah. you're going to have a hard time actually making that stick. 
I mean, I arguably, again, with like self-defense, there's a certain amount of I could see, like, for example, in World War Two, if France had been, you know, better prepared, rebuffed the Nazis and wanted to invade Germany. I I I don't have a moral problem with that. I mean, once somebody once somebody attacks you, then they've they've lowered the barrier. And now it's self-defense, basically what you're doing, especially if they say they're going to keep attacking you and they're like, yeah, we'll stay here and lob bombs at you or you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think that that kind of thinking is something that just causes all the trouble we have, especially in the Middle East. I mean, that's certainly a argument you will hear out of Israel, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to preeminently attack everyone so that we don't get attacked. I get the idea, but then I'm like, well, no, who gets pre- to define the, are, the, the same very, people who are right. like lying to us all the time get to say when they think there's a real danger? No, but those are two totally different things, though. Like, uh, if you remember, Bush called the war in Iraq a preemptive strike. And Iraq hadn't done anything to us. You know, like I'm talking about a situation like if Canada went nuts and started lobbing missiles at us. Uh, like it would totally be acceptable for America to invade Canada to stop the missiles. Sure, but that you know? would be a response to an actual attack. Right, that wouldn't be, be attacking yeah. someone because you think they're going to attack you. Yeah, it's no, kind of like bombing. But that would be that would be the same North situation. Korea currently, right? Like well, I mean, even like, well, it would be like if South Korea invaded North Korea. Which actually, I mean, if they if if North Korea lobbed a bomb at South Korea, they would invade. I mean, you know what I mean? Like I, I don't know. I, I think this is kind of a tangent, but the. Uh, the self-defense stuff I get. And I guess what I'm saying is that I do understand like there's there's situations where a, a national marshalling of force makes sense. But I, I have I'm... a current <laughs> very hard time just with any of those ideas. Like I am not buying into this whole thing anymore about we need to do bad things in the now to prevent bad things from happening in the future, which is basically America's foreign policy now. Mm. People come to us, the CIA, the FBI – the army, the military, all these other secret alphabet agencies, and everyone's yeah. like, we have to prevent these things by going and aggressing against other people, and you should yeah. just believe us because we're telling you this is how it works. And I'm like, I'm calling BS yeah, on all well, of it because I don't trust them anymore. I don't believe them. I don't trust the media. I don't think anyone should. I think, I mean, we have a rogue government doing rogue things, fighting rogue wars, and then we have a media that covers for them, that tells us after 18 years, well, they didn't tell us the truth. Yeah. I mean, again, I think that there's there's a big difference between, and, and it has to do a lot with proximity, too. Like, if you were, say you lived on the frontier and there was a, you know, a squad of bandits that lives in a cave and they're robbing everybody then I don't think that it's bad to go to their cave and But that's private them. one-on-one violence. I'm okay with like yeah, I'm okay with like real violence. So I think why is between it, people. Why is it why is it okay to Because they're marshalling But what if they didn't hurt giant me? What forces? if they just hurt people I know? You know what I mean? Like it's but, not personal. But what did what did Afghanistan or Iraq do to America that justified us murdering millions. Nothing. I think you're missing I'm I'm making an abstract point, not a point about Afghanistan and Iraq. Right, I'm, but I'm just saying the abstract point is the logic by which they trick us into believing the crap they sell us. Well they have to actually like again the reason why I think that by my standard those wars are still unacceptable is that nobody from those places did like there <laughs> there it wasn't like uh the Afghan government sent the Afghan 
army to infiltrate on a, you know, in a shipping container and then they busted out and tried to take San Diego or, you know what I mean? Like that, that would be the kind of thing that's required for like, Oh, you are, you are the international equivalent of bandits who are, you know what I mean? Like it, that would be very different. Um, but I see what you're saying, especially with, well, and especially again, if you remember the whole debate about it, non-state actors, if you're a terrorist, but you're not working for a government, do you still have, um, protection under the Geneva convention? There's all of those different like issues that were being hashed out as a result of us well, well, stepping outside of the, the charter of our nation and going well, to war and with also countries that I didn't think attack us. It's a, a consequence of pretty much DC being run by lawyers now, right? It's kind of goes back to that conversation where we were saying the problem is even when we catch them in lies or we catch them doing things and we say, please stop doing this, they just rewrite the laws to make it permissible. And I know when when the torture memos came out and the justifications came out, I yeah. mean, that professor guy who ended up at Harvard and then the people were like, we don't really want this dude to... John uh, Yu, I you, say. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, you know, those kinds of things where it's like you have a bunch of people who are now writing words together in some kind of you know, magic sauce that that makes it okay to torture people. You know, what what was the thing about the guy who got uh, waterboarded 183 times? Yeah. There's a, there's a pretty good, I couldn't actually watch it. I found it too, too disturbing. I, I forget if it was Netflix or Amazon, but there's a new sh- um, movie out that actually deals with sort of the CIA torture stuff. And they just have, I watched maybe the first 15 minutes, and they have those scenes where they have the stress positions and the super loud sort of heavy metal music. Yeah. And I feel like you would probably survive, well, you, you yeah, would I'd probably survive torture better than I would. But <laughs> but certainly if they're doing the like screaming bunnies and the weird like thrash metal and yeah, stuff, yeah. I'm definitely like, I'm going to go nuts within like an hour. <laughs> like I'm just going to be like, yeah, I'm tapping out. What, what do you guys want to know? I also think that anyone who's being tortured should should absolutely tell the people everything they want to know, make shit up, <laughs> do whatever you need to do to just get out of that situation. Because, yeah. you know, really, it's, are, are, are there rules? Like, is there etiquette when yeah. you're being tortured for no particular reason? Uh, yeah. Well, and then, I mean, the other thing, too, is that it's like, uh, as we were just saying, the objectives were so ill-defined in Afghanistan that um, – it's like nobody nobody knew what the point of what we were doing was. And to to read another uh, excerpt here from one of these interviews, this is from a, an unidentified U.S. official. Um, so we don't believe it, right? Well, no. It was uh, <laughs> these are all this is all like documents that they pulled through okay. Freedom of Information Act and getting stuff from other people. So. Well, just because in in uh, that book, Hate Inc. by uh, oh yeah Matt, uh, you know, one, yeah, one of the things he talks about is this sort of general use of these unnamed sources, oh, yeah, right? And, and it's just it's their like, way of just you know spreading malicious propaganda yeah. without having a way to. Uh, you know, pin it on somebody. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is, this is slightly different. But so the, this person says, um, and AFPAC means Afghanistan and Pakistan. Uh, so with the AFPAC strategy, there was a present under the Christmas tree for everyone. By the time you were finished, you had so many priorities and aspirations that it was like no strategy at all, um, which is really just uh, and it's funny now thinking back also to at the time, I remember it's like the military kills people and breaks stuff. Like, that's what that tool is used for. And it seems like at this time, whether it was because of some 
muddle-headed commitment to quote-unquote compassionate conservatism or who knows what, but everybody that had a dream about nation-building got their fingerprints on this war in Afghanistan. Yeah. And, and they and, all deserve to be held accountable for it. Oh, for sure. Uh, and, <laughs> and, you know, we forget that the neocons, Crystal and those guys, I mean, those are all disenfranchised Democrats, right, who are like, oh, yeah. we, you know, we want to nation-build and we want to spread democracy like Marmite across the <laughs> world. Mm, yum. Mm. And, um, you know, and they left, they, I mean, the, the term neoconservative yeah. was actually like a, a democratic slang or like, yeah. uh, well, it was uh, like Bill Crystal and, uh, you know, they were they were all part of the new left. Like they were all right and socialist so, progressives. Yeah, and, and neoconservative at the time was kind of like a, a derogatory term for yeah. the the warmongering left. And yeah. then when they kind of got kicked out of that, they sort of all turned right. And then we got the neocon Bush mm -hmm. Cheney sitch. And Wolf you know, no good Rumsfeld came of, and yeah came of that. Thing. You know, it's it's I mean, it's genuinely tragic, and I think the tragic part, and maybe this is the awakening that can happen in, in America, is that, you know, guys, you don't even have to pay that much attention. You just have to start giving your trust to, to decent human beings. Like, yeah. I, I actually, for the, for the uh, Democratic primary, I mean, I like Tulsi for yeah. that reason, right? Because she, her foreign policy, she was a soldier. She understands kind of what's going on out there. Yeah. And, you know, she's like, man, we got to stop this. Yeah. No, she she gets it. Um, no, and then also on top of that, like the priorities that they, you know, the muddled priorities that they had, it, they were unachievable and not shared. So, like, this is another quote from a, a State Department official in these interviews. Um, <laughs> quote, our policy was to create a strong central government, which was idiotic because Afghanistan does not have a history of a strong central government. The time frame for creating a strong central government is 100 years, which we don't have. <laughs> and, you know, so the people doing this work, they know they know the story. They know the score. And it's like um, it's hard to describe. It, it's like. Uh, and generally the people who serve there. I mean, I know veterans who came back from Afghanistan right. and they're like, whoa, that's up. a train wreck. And we've, you know, made recommendations and we've said this needs to happen or this needs to change. It kind of makes and me think about. Changes. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a tech startup with no accountability or something where it's like all of a sudden, you know, people keep throwing money at it. And the people there are like, what do we even do anymore? And we're doing it. I don't know. But like and also that for the soldiers that are involved involved in that that must be like deeply psychologically troubling because like it's one thing if you if you know what your job is and that's why you're going and like potentially killing people but if it's like nobody can tell me why I'm here but it's my job to shoot people right like that's a that's a terrible place to be because you can't even construct I mean except for the general purpose America's great rah rah America and freedom I'm from America therefore all my actions must be good um, Which is a very strong Team America propaganda, mind control element at this stage. I mean, everyone buys the story. Everyone buys the propaganda. And it's not true. Like, we are not doing good things in the world. Yeah. And this is also the disconnection I mean, between I we're at the, war yeah. in Niger. Does anyone know even yeah, where right. that is? Hello? Africa. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, still, like, why? <laughs> I know. Probably for some I mean, precious metals uh, it, or something. Yeah, probably, right? Yeah, I mean, rare that is, metals, maybe. I, that is the other thing. Is, you that's know, why let's China's talk in Africa. about the, <laughs> the resources. Yeah, but you know what? China's not, as far as I know, 
I mean, maybe they're arming small bandits and tribes, uh, but I mean, they're yeah. mostly buying up stuff, right? They're it's buying the farm, uh, the the mines, and the, yeah. they're actually using capitalism much more successfully than than like colonial. Yeah. Like it's a, well, it's it's, a it's colonialistic a, capitalism. It's colonial. a combination. I mean, much in the way that like you know <laughs> America's <laughs> yes, colonialism. <laughs> there we go. But like. Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, you know, the U.S. has the whole history of uh, – and this, this is actually an interesting subtopic. and We should talk about this because I feel like um, if people are really against colonialism, China is the number one enemy in the world as far as colonialism. And frankly, prior to that, it was the Soviet Union. But they liked that colonialism because it was like, oh, this is good Soviet colonialism. <laughs> um, but no, like in America, you know, there's the whole United Fruit. I think it was in Guatemala where – they were so influential as a company that they basically, by purchasing the company, they ran the government. So I think that there's a certain Well, amount... we sent in armies right. by, you know, so so the thing is, that's the difference. But China will do the same to protect their resources. It's Are there like Chinese... Soldiers? Ar- absolutely. Soldiers on at, the ground the, in Africa? In, in At the mines? Absolutely. There was. I was just watching a thing. In, uh, so is that like Papua the, the American people, the poor soldiers who have to protect the poppy fields? Because we of, see yeah. those photos all the time, yeah. right? And then you wonder why there is an opioid crisis right. in America. Well, that's the whole other <laughs> man. So that's a whole side issue too with the Afghanistan war is that the strategy when they went there was eradication. I mean, the DEA was riding shotgun, and oh my God, we're going to burn down all the poppy fields. And then they found out that it's the only way that people in Afghanistan make money. Yes, and it ruined the lives of all these people probably created a few more terrorists probably blew up some more Americans with that policy um, and so now because they recognize that it's like the central economic activity in the country but we're still there they exactly they guard the opium poppy fields which are then processed into heroin etc although as we talked about on an earlier show that may not be the core of the opiate epidemic in America. That might be more the synthetics no, that are well, like much more widely available. Fair you can enough. Only make so much I, heroin out of poppies. But I do want to make this point because it's something I see uh, people do a lot of. Is everyone goes there has to be one answer, and I like to look at things very yeah. holistically. So I'm like, analysis. Mm, I'm pretty sure you know, given what we know, say from the Vietnam War, where a lot of our soldiers came back who were also yeah, addicted, addicted to, heroin. to heroin at the time because it was a traumatic experience. And people would come back, and for the most part, if they integrated into their home communities again, they would get off the smack, and yeah. some people didn't. But most people following the rap park model, you know, once they were <coughs> out of that horrendous environment, they got healthy again. Right. I think we see some element of that. I'm not saying all of the opioid problems, oh, yeah, yeah. is it? Right? The opioid problem is probably, as we know, a combination of overprescription of you know, meds yeah. prescription, which is Medicaid's fault. Once again, mm-hmm. the government's fault. You know, the the war, yeah. the fact that, you know, the, the fentanyl, like right. all of those things, And prior right? to fentanyl, they were definitely the primary exporter of, of you know, uh, opium, opiate raw materials for heroin, uh, all of those different right. and then, compounds, morphine, uh, et cetera. And actually, just to, to um, sort of plug into that as well, is I know there's another drug uh, called CAT, K-H-A-T. Oh, which is yeah. yeah which is, uh, you know, it's kind of a stimulant, mm-hmm. I guess, cocaine-y. And I did not know this, but it has to, it only has a two-day active shelf life. So when they pick it, they have to get it across the world to like London in and like days. all these wow. different, in two days, it's all black market. Yeah. And they manage it because you know what? If there's a will, there's a way, it will right. happen. And um, and they can make money off it. 
Yeah, and yeah. then and then there was that same model of we're going to go in and we're going to eradicate this, yeah. and then they realized, oh crap, now we've made poor people this poorer by taking away the only thing. So yeah. I guess my point also is, can we stop trying to force people to be better <sighs> than they are? If you want to chew cat, if you want to like, I mean, I'm I'm not saying God. do it. I think it's it's. <laughs> Okay. I don't. I don't want to chew a cat. <laughs> <laughs> cat. We call it cats in Africa, as far as I know. I'm but sorry. Right. I just, chewing cats. That sounds like something that we need to teach the kids not to do. I'm gonna make it eat the pussy joke. You know, I'm gonna do it. Sorry, Brinks mom. <laughs> um, Excuse me. But basically, you know, it's 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 this whole mental drive to try and make the world in air quotes good yeah. to try and make people right. good to force so, virtue to force virtue and yeah. also the thing is when we were talking about earlier like to teach or to force yeah. right here's the thing you can't make people do things they don't want to do the only thing we can do is you can try and persuade them mm-hmm. And convince them because then you have a true believer. Then yeah. you have someone who's adopted it from an internalized perspective and they actually themselves in their little noggins believe it. Yeah. If you just go, Brink, here's a, my change. finger gun, yeah. change. You're like, yeah, that's not going to well, happen. And I think, I mean, this is probably a, a really solid place to sort of wrap this up. But I, I think that really that core idea of um, you can you can spend your way into changing people's behavior Um it's just shown to not be true. And that's what, so one of the wildest. But they're also the last... like, we're making Americans poorer. Yes. Like we are deflating our own currency. Well, all right. So li- listen to this. So uh, <laughs> many aid workers blamed Congress for what they saw as a mindless rush to spend, which is definitely true. Money we don't so, have. This is, this is the killer. One contractor told government interviewers that he was expected to dole out $3 million daily for projects in a single Afghan district roughly the size of a U.S. county. (laughs) He once asked a visiting congressman whether the lawmaker could responsibly spend that kind of money back home. He said, hell no. Well, sir, that's what you just obligated us to spend, and I'm doing it for communities that live in mud huts with no windows. So, uh, like, think about that, too. And, and there really is, I mean, I, I, I never want to be the guy that's recommending spending. But, like, think about the incredible amount of treasure that we wasted in Afghanistan where it's like there are, you know, bridges that are falling apart. And there are uh, municipal buildings that could use some – just all of these things where it's like $3 million a day for projects in an in a, in a area the size of a county. So think about Hillsborough County. Think about if it was your job to spend $3 million a day in and around Manchester. Our houses would be very fun. Oh, my God, yes. I, I would <laughs> that feel, little hot tub. Forget about your potato pool. We would I, have a <laughs> – It would be a pool-sized hot tub. I mean, I, I would I would love and respect freedom and democracy so much. <laughs> no, but, I mean, the, if you can't um, – well, that's a little bit of bribery, too, that they're yes. trying to do, right? So it's it's kind of like, oh, we came in, we broke it, and now we're yeah. going to half fix it, and now you owe us because we but, fixed but this it is, for like, you. You hear people frequently, you know, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and, like, the squad folks talk all about how, you know, the Green New Deal is great because it's a national mobilization on the level of World War II, but for our country. So this is what a national mobilization looks like. And it looks like there's bombs. It looks like there's graft. 
it looks like there's more corruption than anyone could possibly dream of. Waste. Um, just Terror. incredible waste. Yeah. Uh, control. Dead children. Murder. It's, it's really not a pretty picture. So think about that the next time somebody says they want to bring this kind of nation building home to America. No, thank you. I no, mean, thank you. <laughs> and, and maybe just to wrap up, you know, for anyone who, who is not convinced about how terrible war is, you know, maybe go look at some photos from Syria, another country we're in currently, because I was shocked the other day. I, I, I actually try not to get into this stuff too much anymore. I mean, I'm convinced I think war is bad and nothing good ever, yeah. ever comes from it. That's what I believe. And um, it's shocking. So when, you know, when I hear these anti-immigrant voices and these people who are like, we don't want, want these people here, I'm like, well, maybe we should stop carpet bombing them from the skies, killing women, children indiscriminately, killing young teenage men just for the sake mm-hmm. that they are young and teenage boys. Yeah, they're, com- um, they're combatants. They're, they're enemy combatants You're just by definitionally being the wrong gender at the wrong age. And it's terrible. And, and you know, I, I generally hope we stop. And I hope that these Afghanistan papers get the attention they deserve. You know, we're probably not going to see as much of it as we would because we yeah. have the impeachment circus going on as we speak. Yeah. But, you know, remember that this is important, folks. And remember to make your voices heard and to stand for peace. Yeah. And on top of that, Remember that these people don't care about the truth, and these people. What a what a broad epi- <laughs> which people these <laughs> bastards. No, I, I uh, if you're an elected official, and you're saying that you want to spend money or do a thing, typically you don't care about the truth. I mean, it's just the bottom line. People will excuse, uh, obfuscate, make things up, just invent out of whole cloth to make their stuff look good. So it's really disturbing to think about the fact that we've had three administrations now, three administrations, years. so I mean, much time, a, a huge portion of my life. We've where, born soldiers yeah, in this time. Right. No, there's there's soldiers that have had kids that have grown up to be soldiers in the same war. And it's uh, as I'm saying it, it sounds more and more horrific. I mean, can you I, – I, I don't think that somebody uh, from 30 years ago – would imagine that the U.S. would ever be in a war for 20 years almost. It's it's just inconceivable, especially when you know there's not supposed to be a standing army. <laughs> well, well, both that and, and actually oh, back to Matt's book, Hate, Inc., uh, highly recommend. Everyone should read it. Uh, he talked about how how many people, so I think the number he said was between 7 and 30 million people worldwide marched against these wars. Yeah. I know I marched in New York in a march that had half a million people. Mm-hmm. It got three minutes one time on CNN. Yeah. That was the only coverage for anti-war um for the anti-war movement. And, and then as soon as Obama got elected, it stopped existing. Yes, because, <laughs> and I, you know what? I will shake my finger. The show is called Told You So for a Reason. Yeah. So to my progressive and lefty and Democrat friends who are supposed to be anti-war, where are you? And why did you go away under Obama? I will yeah. never forgive you for that. 30 million people worldwide said, we don't want this. And you know what? The authoritarians and the leaders, in air quotes, in yeah. this world. They did it anyway. Did it anyway. Yeah. So they're not my leaders. Yeah. Well, on that note, 
Thank you so much for listening. And thank you for listening to my mildly scratchy and coughing voice because I'm kind of sick. He is a, he is a little <laughs> sick. And because we like to leave on an upbeat note, I will say to everyone, sorry for the downer. <laughs> I will come regale you with stories about my learning how to surf. There we go. So, yeah. So, you know, tell your – read this article. It's on the Washington – it's in the Washington Post. We'll it's put it on, in the show notes. Yep, and uh, send it to your friends. Let people know that this is this is the truth and it exists and it's out there and you can access it for free. So <laughs> thanks again for listening and have a wonderful day. Peace out.